Welcome to the Progression Health Podcast. I'm here with Bobby Patrick. Bobby, do you want to introduce yourself to the listeners? Hi, yeah. My name is Bobby, Bobby Patrick, and I'm up here in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And um, I am a licensed massage therapist, a running performance coach, and also a uh, personal trainer. And yeah, I am a basically a sober person as well. So and I have my own podcast called Curbing the Cheers about sobriety. And yeah, I'm looking forward to discussing some of these topics with you. Great. Yeah, great to have you on and to have your range of experience as well. So, you know, who do you typically work with? What kind of clients do you work with? Because a lot of your work is client based and like what's kind of your favorite area to work on with the client given the background you have? Yeah, I work with a variety of people. Um, I would say I'm just mostly coming into my niche in the last two years, which I primarily really enjoy working with very gritty, determined, um, advanced runners. Uh, so I don't particularly like working with beginners as much, um, just because of the experience I have, but I will, I'll take them on if I know that they're going to be really determined and have a set goal and they're going to get the work in that I want them to get in. Um, but specifically people who are uh, a little bit more advanced, looking to take that next level in PRs and running uh, ability. So, yeah. So with beginners versus intermediates or advanced, is it with beginners that the biggest challenge is just kind of adherence and and, and sticking to a, a kind of a weekly routine or what would be the, the kind of the challenge with working with beginners? Yeah, uh, I would say beginners you know, you have to start very basic and there's definitely nothing wrong with that. Um, but yeah, a lot of beginners, I usually have them start very, very minimal, very light. And the first one to two years is a lot of just building up your aerobic base and kind of getting into a steadfast routine of running, um, whether based around their schedule, right? So usually if you're starting very beginner, it's a run-walk scenario, right? So maybe five minutes walking, or sorry, five minutes running, two minutes walking, five minutes running, two minutes walking. And then you build up every minute for each run until you can potentially do a mile at a time or two miles, et cetera. Um, so I would say the challenge is more, I just like excitement <laughs> and maybe a little bit of ADHD in that. I like uh, the excitement of working with advanced or intermediate people who I can be like, okay, we're hopping in this race, right? So, you know, maybe it's just me. <laughs> so is that a little bit of like your competing background? Do you like to kind of relive it through your clients? Yeah, I would say so. I love watching. The best part about coaching is watching people race. I am the first one on the sideline, if I can be, just screaming at the top of my lungs, because it is, it's the uh, accumulation of everything they've worked for, right? And just seeing that come to fruition is the most exciting part for me as a coach is watching them and kind of maybe living vicariously of like, wow, they're having a great race. They said that they could never reach this goal. And here they are doing it. And it's just so emotional. Like I'm getting goosebumps just talking about it. So yeah. So this brings up something interesting for me recently. So, you know, you're a former uh, 
is it D1 running athlete or former, you know, college athlete? Yeah. Current, current athlete as well, right? Coach. So <laughs> how how do you kind of tread the line or walk the line between enjoyment, but also making progress, you know? Because it's very easy to be like, oh, I'm just doing this running thing. And it's like, I must improve. And it gets super serious. Like, and the the, sun, the fun gets sucked out of it. So yeah, how, as a as a athlete, as a coach, how do you walk that line? Yeah, I think um, I've been pretty fortunate with the people I've been able to work with, with so far in run coaching. But personally, I also have a really hard time um, when people lose their passion for running because I've just had passion for running my entire life. And I feel like it's been very rare that I've lost it. Um, so in some cases, it's it's hard for me to relate. But also, I think when you were talking earlier before we started recording just about strength training. I think having other variables mixed in with running is a really good way of preventing burnout and keeping the passion and the drive for your ultimate goals, right? So, you know, let's say your goal is to run a marathon. Like we are incorporating strength training to prevent injuries, but also to give your brain something else to focus on rather than just running all the time. Um, and also, I think, you know, doing other things, potentially biking or here and there, maybe you need an extra day off, right, uh, to just spend more time with, time with your kids. So it's a lot of taking into account what the client needs and what will mentally stimulate them and as well as what's best practice for them to actually reach that goal. So in your experience doing other activities, you know, exercise based activities outside of the running. Does that like, I guess, what benefit would that? So you kind of mentioned a psychological benefit. Like, would that help someone on, on the, on the race day to still kind of feel fresh or improve their fitness? Or would it be more just like a mental thing of we want a bit of variety, but we're still going to stay active because this person just loves to, or athletes love to be active? You know, I kind of what specifically is the variety achieving? Yeah, it's. Uh, multiple reasons, like you said, yep, preventing burnout, uh, the mental preparation on race day. Um, but yeah, also, like a lot of the people I work with are people who are very active and love an active lifestyle, right? And so I'm not going to fault them for, hey, you had a three, four mile run today, but instead you decided to go hiking. Shame, you know, like, <laughs> you kind of have to work with what you got and understand that these people also want to do other activities potentially, and it does prevent overall burnout, right? Yeah, exactly. It's um, it's very easy to do too much of the running and, and just focus on the performance. So, mm -hmm. so with the the weight training, how do you how do you fit that into like your own training, your own weekly schedule, and and clients as well? Is it kind of different, or is it just a general? You know, we do one session or two sessions, or what does it look like? Yeah, I, again, it potentially looks different for everyone. Um, I have a lot of runners who are beginners on strength training, but not beginners in running, right? So they've been running for many years. Um, they've seen good results, but they have yet to really incorporate or focus on the strength training side. Um, and, you know, you and I both know the benefits of strength training in injury prevention, overall health, and then even as you age, right? Um, and so usually if someone's just starting off with strength training, I'll give them basics 
or a basic understandings of, hey, I want you to do some banded work, you know, before you run, after you run, um, either once or twice a week. And then potentially I would encourage them to, hey, I would look into getting a gym membership. You've been doing these banded exercises, getting basics down. Um, I think it's now time to take the next step of working out in a gym using some heavier weights. So, um, but then, you know, if you are a more advanced runner, you maybe have been lifting already. Um, I encourage most of my runners, if not all, to at least be in the gym. And we work that into our training routines directly on our running routines. Like, hey, this day, every week, you need to be doing strength training or these two days. And I usually recommend um, at least probably twice a week, if not three especially if you're in a down season of training or racing. Got it. So it's it's kind of periodized where maybe leading up to a race, it could be one session a week or two. In the down period, it's maybe three or even four. Yeah, yeah. And especially in the winters when people aren't racing a lot up here, at least, um, we can at least get a lot more training and building up our good base of strength. And then Let's, for example, the spring comes, everyone's excited for their race. Everyone's looking forward to the races in the spring. I know at least that they have a good, strong base of strength. Um, and we can maybe up our mileage um, as well as just maintain that base of strength. Got it. So it sounds like planning is a huge part of making the training, I guess, more enjoyable, more effective and, and over a long term as well. It's not just like, oh, this week it's going to be a down week and this week it's an up week. It's kind of over the full year, you're looking at different periods. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. All part of a bigger picture, right? And, you know, we think about uh, what their A race is, their B race and C race through the seasons, right? So a lot of people have, let's say up here in Minneapolis, you know, grandma's is next weekend, uh, big marathon, really important for a lot of people. So that's a lot of people's spring A race, right? And so they might have like, a couple other races lead up to that and we'll kind of circulate around that and they're training around that and lifting around that. But all of our focus is on this a race of grandmas, like the end result should be at grandma's, right? Got it. Yeah. Cause then you can know how hard to work, how much energy to put into it. And if this, it's a big race, then you can kind of come at it at a different angle. Yeah. So just going back to the weight training, you know, DOMS or, you know, delayed soreness is like, is very real. I'd mm -hmm. imagine if someone is, you know, big into the running, not into the lifting as much, they could easily experience a lot of soreness after a weight training session. How do you kind of manage that? So how do you, you know, do three sessions in a week without it kind of like flowing into the running and affecting the running performance as well? Yeah. Um, so with running, um, if let's say we're doing a hard speed training session for, um, running specifically, um, I always recommend like, so we'll do maybe an advanced runner or intermediate still, like they'll still probably be doing two speed workout training sessions a week. And then the rest will be easy mileage, right? Um, so two easy days or two hard days of training per week. And on those days, if you can make it work, you should lift on your hard workout days. Um, and the reason for that is your hard days are, they should be your hard days, right? To full extent. So strength training should be hard on your body. And that's where all the stress is. And then uh, during your hard running days as well, 
that's where all you're putting your stress on your body as well. So um, if we can make it on one single day, obviously, you know, for some people, it's not possible. So I try and have them maybe work it in as close to, to those hard, you know, workouts as you possibly can. Um, but that's ideal. The ideal schedule would be on those hard days. So you're not feeling that doms during your hard workout. <laughs> that is very clever, actually, because I would, in my experience, I would squat and afterwards my legs would be dead. So I would have to take an easier day after a day of squatting, but getting the two of them together, then you could have a dedicated, like full, you know, rest day the day after or easy mm -hmm. day where the time doesn't matter. You're like no watch or whatever. You just go for it. Yeah. Is that the yeah. kind of the approach? It's like we go hard this day and we go super easy the next day, our rest day. Yeah. So that way your body has a true recovery day. Right. And, um, you know, true recovery for runners is usually like, you know, an easy uh, aerobic mileage or, you know, whatever your base mileage would be. So that could range from anywhere to like four to eight miles for any person. So um, and you just go really easy and you can enjoy it without hopefully having to worry about doing speed work. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's more that's the pure enjoyment. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And. What about with kind of like a group run as well? So, you know, personally, I find that's where I get my enjoyment from. But mm. it's it's non-specific, right? I'm actually kind of there to socialize and move and forget that I'm running. Yeah. But it's like, to me, it's not that effective because I'm like, I'm not doing, there's no time, there's no hills, there's no distance. So this isn't really achieving anything. You know, what's your mm. kind of take as a coach if you're coaching a client and they have, you know, a passion for the group runs, but they want to improve their time as well? Yeah, I think there's a time and a place for group runs for sure. And, you know, that's the one reason I fell in love with running so many years ago was uh, the collaborative group running experience, right? Um, there's nothing like going on a run and you forget where you're at or um, how many miles you've gone because you've just gotten yourself into such a good conversation, right? Um, and but there's some a huge benefit to that. And um, I know you have we were going to talk about pacing, but here's kind of a good intro to that is one of the ways as coaches, we determine people's easy pace, which is like something you should be doing most of your mileage at basically like the 80, 20 rule. So like 80% of your mileage should be at your easy aerobic pace. And how we determine that for clients is the talk test, right? So the basic test of like, can you talk at this pace that you're going at? for an extended period of time and not 10 minutes. It should be something like, can you talk and maintain a conversation while you're running for about 30 minutes to upwards of even an hour, right? Um, or more. So doing group runs is a great way to do your easy aerobic mileage and create a great base and be able to ensure that you're going at the correct pace because a lot of people end up training too fast and that's how you get injured. So there's definitely room for group runs on your easy aerobic days. And then the next day, that's a great day to maybe do your speed work um, instead. Nice. Yeah. Just personally, I find like it's hard to 
enjoy an intense run, a speed run as much, but the group runs, they're just pure enjoyment and you kind of get to meet new people or I actually am like more aware of my surroundings when I'm on a group run where I'm like more, I'm almost like focused on the road when I'm doing a speed Mm -hmm. run. Yeah. So I think they're very valuable. So yeah, just personally then with your own training, you know, what motivates you to run, even though you're kind of running for many years now and like, what do you enjoy most about it? Oh gosh, there's so much. Um, I have always been in love with running and from such an early age. Um, and I would say right now, what I enjoy most about running is just, it is like my meditation. It is truly how I decompress from a long day and I clear my mind. Um, and it allows me to have less anxiety. Um, on a day-to-day basis, it just feels like true meditation for me where I don't have to think. I just get to focus on one act and the one act is just purely running. So um, that has carried me through a lot of really tough times in the last couple of years. I'm sure with a lot of other people as well through the pandemic. Um, and yeah, it just feels, sorry, I got a text message. <laughs> um, it just no feels, feels really meditative. So yeah. Great. So you're making me think of one of the previous podcasts I had, uh, the guest that they talked about the runner's high. So mm, yeah. what, what are your <laughs> thoughts around the runner's high? Should people run to try and experience it? Is there a certain, this guest, Lenny, he, he was saying around three miles, but I'm not sure. And then ironically, or just in a kind of coincidental way, I had a race the following week after the podcast. And I swear on the button, three miles or two, it was about two and a half, three miles. I started getting this runner's high and it was like, oh, this is why I'm here. So yeah, is, is it kind of, is it reliable? Is it something people should work towards or is it just you take it when it comes? Uh, yeah, I would say like, I think my sister, my sister and I, my mom, my sister and I all went to Denver this last fall and we took a trip together and my sister and I were running a lot together and she's always wanted to get into running. And so we went on a lot of trail runs together in Colorado and it was beautiful. And it was these great moments of just her and I connecting and, you know, what runners just enjoy the most is like viewing mountains and, and having these deep conversations. Right. Um, And we were on such a runner's high. Right. And she was like, I just, I wish every run could feel like this. Like, I don't understand why every run feels like, why doesn't it feel like this? And it's like, because it's not supposed to. You're supposed, we're supposed to work through hard things. We're supposed to be determined and gritty and work through those hard moments in running too. So when we do feel that runner's high, it's like, oh yeah, this is why I do this, right? And when you have that sense of accomplishment of, oh, I just did my longest run and it felt so good and I had this runner's high and it's like, even though the last few long runs have felt like garbage, it's like, this is the reminder of why I do it. Right. And, um, you know, I think that's really what it's about. It's not about, oh, my goal is reaching the runner's high every time. My goal is reaching that ultimate um, point of success and advancement of like your goals. And that's when you reach the runner's high. Right. Is when you reach that moment that you never thought you could get to or, that feeling that's just, it's not consistently there, but it's just a reminder of why you do it. Right. 
Exactly. Yeah. It kind of comes up it's almost random. And yeah. I don't know, for some reason, I thought that runners, they just trained for three months, you know, 20 weeks, whatever. And they turned up and then they just hit a PR or, you know, everything went to plan. But I'm a huge like NBA sports fan, like soccer mm-hmm. and stuff. And I see like the best players, their performance goes up and down all the time. And it's, yeah, you have to prepare right. And sometimes everything goes your way and you get that kind of high. But uh, it's kind of like if you stick at it, keep showing up, it comes along, but it's not, there's no guarantees, but you do need those harder sessions to sort of, it's almost like to keep you humble, you know? Yeah. 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 Yes. Keep the expectations in check. Yeah. So as a coach, then what's kind of like, your philosophy or like the kind of the main thing you try and impart to, to working with clients, because obviously there's so many different pieces of like nuggets of wisdom you could pass on, but is there kind of like a central idea you have that you really try and pass on to your clients? Um, yeah, I guess I have, um, several different philosophies, but personally, like I think I'm a very passionate person and motivational and I love being that for my clients and having them tell me what they're passionate about running or, you know, specifically so that way I can motivate them through that. Um, and so just encouraging my clients to find their passion within the sport. And um, I think that's the biggest one around my philosophy is how can we keep this sport going uh, longer for people and keep people healthy and passionate about it and not get burnout. Um, so that's definitely one of my biggest things, but then also like, (laughs) I really like watching people win. So if I, you know, I'm very, very competitive. And so I love, um, one of my philosophies is like, go big or go home. Like if you don't have a big goal, like I'm not working with you. So (laughs) like, Let's figure out what you're working towards and let's let's lay into it. Just like we talked off air about you have a client who's running a hundred mile race. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. So just tell me a little bit about that. A hundred mile race as in the kind of the preparation, the mileage per week and, you know, how that goal came to be. Yeah. Um, well, <laughs> so I've been very fortunate, but um, he was my strength training client for the last like, gosh, maybe almost a year now. Um, And he came to me in, I want to say late last year and asked if I would be his run coach. Um, And he had done several like ultra endurance events before that Um, big, you know, a hundred miler, very determined guy. And I definitely respected his goals and his mindset, very hard worker. And he just was looking for something different. He wanted a different um, approach to his running rather than just doing long, easy mileage. And if you look at, you know, the big ultra marathon or big ultra marathon philosophies, it's a lot of slow, like very low heart rate, right? And I don't train like that necessarily. I do like speed work. Um, and I think there's a lot of benefit for everyone. And, um, so, you know, he, I think has a very similar body type and he has a lot of, uh, fast twitch muscles to pull from. So we started incorporating speed work. And one of his goals this year is to PR in his mile race and PR in his hundred mile. And so 
two completely different goals. Um, but on the track in the winter, he was able to run a 507 mile, which is pretty fast for someone who's doing ultra marathon training. So, um, you know, on a weekly basis, he's probably running, I want to say like 40 to 50 miles, uh, somewhere around there. And we'll get up closer to probably like 60 to 70 uh, as he gets closer to these higher end races. Um, but he just had a 34 mile race in the spring and ended up getting second all overall at the Zumbro Endurance Run, which is a big race up here. And uh, yeah, he had a huge PR, felt really good. And um, I think just knew he had different gears to pull from. And I would say that's the biggest benefit uh, as well with my coaching specifically is I do a lot of let's test your gears. So everyone knows an easy pace primarily, like people figure that out pretty easily as a runner. Um, but let's figure out those in-betweens. Like what's your intermediate to easy pace? What's your medium to hard pace? What's like your all out pace, right? And there isn't a lot of ultra runners who know how fast they could run a mile in. Um, so yeah, I think it's been good to see how he can kind of taste those flavors throughout these long runs. Well, that's like amazing to be able to improve the one mile time and now going on to the distance to the two opposite end of the spectrum goals. That, that's very exciting as a coach, so I'd imagine. Yeah, it is. I really, I love it. <laughs> good. Yeah. It's, it's good when it, it works both ways where it's exciting for the, the client and the coach. So speaking of a coach, when do you recommend that a client gets a coach? You know, is it necessary that every client has a, a coach if they're competing for like a particular goal or a race or, you know, how does it, how does that process work? Yeah, I think, again, it depends on the person. Um, I am very blunt and I'll always like, if I think someone needs a coach, I'll be honest with them. If I don't, like I'll be honest with them too, right? Um, I'm not a very salesy person. I've never have been. Um, maybe that's why I suck at um, I sucked at my first personal training job of like getting clients, but it was my personality. And um, in any case, what I'm trying to say is that I think when it comes to hiring a run coach, you need to figure out where you're at and maybe some areas that you're struggling with as a runner, and um, find the best coach for you. And there's so many of them online right now. Um, uh, like the best part about the pandemic in this regard was so many people you do coaching just virtually. And I do a lot of clients just virtually pretty much. And you can enter all your runs in. Um, and I think from the beginner standpoint, a benefit of getting a run coach would be you have way less likely of getting injured or doing too much too fast. And like knowing exactly what you should be doing, right? Um, and as a beginner, it can be a really intimidating of like, how do I start? And so a run coach can just lay it out for you and be really specific for your body and what you need. Um, that's the biggest benefit. The intermediate to advanced runners, uh, if you've been doing it for a while and you're not seeing progress or progress, you're, you've gone maybe stagnant or you're kind of at a point where you should be seeing results or you want to see more results. Uh, a run coach is perfect for those types of people. Uh, that's where you're going to see the most results is just like having people lay out a plan 
lay out good specific workouts for your race plan. And I guarantee you're going to see results. It's like pretty much impossible. Um, and that's a huge benefit to those e- intermediate advanced runners. So as a, a coach, but also a competitor yourself, do you have a coach or do you kind of coach yourself? How does that work? I do. Um, I'm a huge believer in coaches. Um, yeah, I've been very lucky. Uh, I run under Minnesota Distance Elite program. Um, I'm not on the team yet. I have to earn my spot, but I get to work with them. And then uh, Chris Lindstrom, uh, he has a PhD in kinesiology and he's a big coach here up in the Twin Cities area. So he makes my program. And um, but yeah, it's easier for it's easier for everyone, like even people like you and I who know a lot of stuff like I don't want to spend time programming myself like I'm way too busy. (laughs) So I enjoy just having someone make it for me. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I have my own coach and I just hit the watch and off I go. And the watch even tells me, okay, this is the range we want to be within. So that's how I guess lazy I am or how much, (laughs) how much programming there is, but it's very effective because uh, it can kind of hold me back when I want to go too fast and it can kind of spur me on as well when I'm, you know, sort of holding back and, and not pushing enough. So yeah, definitely second everything you said about a coach. Yeah. So then in terms of your kind of your, your other, let's say skills, you're, you're a massage therapist. So, you know, things like massage therapy, like foam rolling, um, like hot and cold water immersion and all these kind of like recovery techniques, like, you know, what's your opinion on those and, you know, are they sort of a staple of a lot of your clients work or is it sort of just as needed? Yeah, I would say um, it's kind of like, uh, it's like strength training. It's like one of those things that it'll come back to bite you in the ass if you don't, you know, stay consistent with it at some point. Right. So um, I, was a sophomore in high school when I was diagnosed with compartment syndrome and compartment syndrome is basically where like the compartments of muscle in your shins essentially like basically are pressurizing all around the bones and the blood and you can't get blood to your like lower extremities essentially um and I was told that I was never going to run that I had to have the surgery and if I didn't get the surgery I would never run and I was just starting to see some success in running. I was so excited. And to be told that by a doctor was just super frustrating. Um, And I was lucky and fortunate fortunate enough to have a lot of coaches who told me, don't get the surgery. The surgery was only 50% success rate. And um, they ended up recommending me to go to the specific massage therapist named Susie. I don't remember her last name, but she's around the Madison area really good. And um, I went to her and she actually taught me self fascial uh, myofascial release on my calves to help reduce the swelling and inflammation I was experiencing. Um, But then I also changed my running form. So I wouldn't put so much pressure on my calves. And I currently do not suffer from any of the symptoms anymore. Um, Through college, I did minimally. um, But I've worked very hard to learn tactics on how to self 
reduce inflammation through my body. Um, and as a runner, you know, there's certain areas that just get more pressurized, more stress, more tension and, uh, foam rolling self massage or massage therapists in general is a huge part of relieving, um, you know, lymphatic, lymphatic drainage. So like, uh, basically reducing inflammation in general, and then increasing your mobility and flexibility, reducing scar tissue buildup from potential injuries you've had. Um, overall, it's just a really good resource. Um, I don't really know much about like cold plunge or like hot plunge. Um, I mean, I know like massage guns are super popular right now. I honestly, I don't really like them, <laughs> but I think it's one of those things of like a placebo effect of like, if it feels good for you, then like use it. Um, but if it doesn't, then don't, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> Yeah, not essential, which is my opinion as well. I think you can get a lot of the benefit with the foam roller and more pressure almost. I feel like it's it's more effective, just in my experience as well. But, you know, we'll see over time with, with things changing. But yeah, just something I'm thinking of is like, you know, kind of data and using like technology and running. Like, is that a big part of your own running and with clients like, you know, using watches, heart rate monitors, tracking numbers, all that kind of stuff? Is that something that you use in your training? Uh, yeah, I would say, um, personally, I don't use a ton of that. Um, I would say I do look at pacing quite a bit, like pace is a big part of things. So we look at a lot of like, oh, if someone's going too fast, like, okay, like this pace is way too fast. Like this is definitely more of like a threshold pace for you. You shouldn't be going that on your easy runs. Right. Um, so I'll kind of realign people on that um, and we'll determine pacing for each individual. Um, and then especially for races, we use pacing, but heart rate, I'm not super big into um, other variables around like, oh, I know cadence is a big one these days. Uh, I'm not really a big believer in cadence. Don't hate on me for that. I don't know if anyone else uh, listening to this will probably hate on me for that. But yeah, I just think, Honestly, sometimes our society right now has gotten so indulged in these analytical features of our watches and like my watch tells me I should be doing this. Should I be doing this? And realistically, like just go out and freaking run, like go out, feel good on your runs. Like inevitably you're going to feel good eventually on your races then. Right. And I just think we need to lower the standard of what we're tracking on our runs. Um, and Yes, data can be good. Yes, certain aspects can be good, especially if maybe you're coming back from an injury or we need to pay attention to your mileage a bit more. Um, but overall, like, just enjoy it. <laughs> That's what it's for, right? Yeah, you could really overdo it between, I've seen people with like a power meter thing on their shoe and you could have a watch, high rate monitor, gels, you could have, you know, what you could have so many different things and mm -hmm. there's no substitute for, you know, getting the work done and following a good plan. So, yeah, an, an interesting post you had online then was finding the right running race for you. So, you know, how would someone who's new or, you know, your typical client and intermediate, how would they find the right race for them? Like what would be some indicators that, okay, this is my level and my, my ability. Here's a, an effective race for me based on that. Yeah, I would say, um, 
again, it really depends on the person's goals, but you know, what, uh, what do you want to run this year? You know, what's your, what's your primarily primary distance that you want to shoot for? You know, people, I get a lot of people who are, I want to qualify for Boston, right? That's like the most common one. Uh, okay. Well then we need to run a marathon. We probably need to run a half marathon to build up for that marathon. We probably need to run like a 5k or a 10k to build up for the half marathon. Right. So I would say break it down into segments of like, what's your A race? What's your B race? What's your C race? Right. And how do those all contribute to your potential A race? And like, let's say Boston's your A race. Well, you have to qualify for Boston. So your A race would probably be a different marathon though. Right. So, um, yeah, it's all for one ultimate goal, but eventually it kind of trickles down into those A, B, C races. Um, and let's say your goal, your A race is I want to run a five minute mile. Okay, well, we probably need to find like a mile or two mile or three mile races before that just to practice um, or some 800s or a 5K. A 5K is still pretty fast and it works on that speed endurance. So, you know, that's what I would say. A is your mile, B is another mile race, and then C is like a 5K, right? So that makes sense. So backtrack from the, the end goal. So the end goal is, is Boston, for example, and you start to fill in. So the A race is Boston, fill in back from that. Yes, yep. Yep, and not all the races are right next to each other, right? Like, obviously, you're not going to race a half marathon two weeks out before, you know, your grandma's marathon, for example, that you want to try and qualify for Boston. <laughs> so you backtrack, you think like, okay, I need at least a month or three weeks to give myself recovery and taper for my full marathon. So I'm going to run a half a month before. Um, and then the month prior to that, I'm going to run a 10k. And the month prior to that, I'll maybe run a 5k, right? So kind of space them out. Don't feel like you have to do one right after the other. Yeah, be strategic and really think about what you're doing. So on race day or kind of leading up to like, let's say race week, race day, how do you prepare, you know, yourself or a client for that? Because it can be quite nerve wracking or like anxiety inducing. So how do you kind of manage that and kind of put your best foot forward on the day, you know, to make sure that all the work you've put in in the weeks leading up to it, you kind of get to, to show that on the day. Oh gosh, there's so many things. Um, yeah. And I, again, I feel like it's so dependent on the individual. Um, you know, I feel like I have people who just go out and they're like, yeah, I can race this all day long and I'm fine. Um, but I would say the two weeks or the week before I always sit down with my clients um, before their race. And I say, okay, like, let's talk about this. You know, how are you feeling about your training? Um, how do you feel about leading into this race? Like, let's say it's an A race or tapering, right? So tapering means like you cut down their mileage a little bit. So that way they're completely fresh for that A race. Um, and that leads to a lot of people either getting super hungry or super not hungry or, um, aches and pains. People have a lot of like taper tantrums, they like to call it. Um, so we talk about how they're feeling and how we can mentally work through those aches and pains, uh, not let them get freaked out. Uh, we talk about their pacing strategy. Okay, the first 
I like to break it into 10 Ks for marathon runners. The first 10K, you're starting off easy. We're working into it. We're hitting this pace. This is your easy aerobic pace that we were kind of at, right? And then we're going to kind of work down that next 10K. So we break it in um, to segments depending on the race. Um, and then we talk about fueling. Uh, one thing that I feel like a lot of runners do not know, and unfortunately, I think this is the running industry in general, um, unfortunately, uh, runners just think they can't eat a lot or they shouldn't eat a lot because they need to be skinny probably to like run fast. It's stupid. Um, but fueling are how many gels do you have for the race? Okay. Well, when are you stopping at what water station? Uh, how many water stations are you stopping at? Are you drinking electrolytes before? Are you drinking electrolytes during? Uh, we plan out all of that, uh, because that's, super important part of the race. Uh, if you're not taking gels while you're running anywhere over an hour or even 45 minutes, to be honest, um, you're, you're missing out on a huge potential gain. So. Yeah. It's kind of like a, a fail to prepare, prepare to fail scenario, but it sounds of it. Yeah. So, so with the nutrition, we kind of didn't really touch on it, but could you just talk about like any recommendations you give for, for your clients or any kind of like, experience that you've picked up in your own running career that helps with managing nutrition as a runner? Yeah, I would say um, basics, just make sure you're maybe drinking electrolytes before you run, um, just to potentially fight off any nausea or anything of that matter. Um, and then gels, uh, test out your gels before you race. Don't just bring them to the race and expect good results because you're probably going to end up in the porta potty along the course. So uh, test out the gels on your long runs, the months or weeks leading up to your race um, and know that it's a good fit for you. And I would potentially work into using a gel every 30 to 40 minutes throughout a race. So, you know, let's say you're doing a half marathon, it's going to take you two hours. That's probably bring three or four gels with you, right? What if one falls out, falls out of your pocket while you're running? So you got to have an extra. Um, but yeah, you got to take all of that into account is it's not just showing up to the race and, you know, oh, I'm going to chest out this gel and see how it feels, right? You know, give yourself the ultimate success rate on race day. So it's almost like, yeah, training for race day everything's building up to that. So it's kind of like, I'm not just doing this slow run just for the fun of it. I'm doing this slow run because there might actually be like a hill, for example, in the race itself, or I'm taking this gel with me in training because it's practice for the race. Is that sort of the mindset you have in training? Yes, for sure. Um, yeah, again, everything's kind of developing and a pyramid up to that A race. So we have to prepare for that A race. And it's not every run you go on, um, is to reach that ultimate goal. So, yeah. Yeah. Train with the end in mind. I really like that. So <laughs> you mentioned at the start, you're sober, you have, uh, your own podcast, Curb and Cheers, you know, what, what prompted you to, to get sober? You know, what has your experience been and, you know, how did it affect your running? Yeah, I guess, um, it's so funny you mentioned that, but I basically got sober, like, it was, I think, 20, yeah, 2021. Um, or no, 2022, excuse me. It was like three days before the new year. 
Um, and I was like, um, I don't know, I think I'm just gonna go sober this year. And I'm gonna start a podcast. And I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna try it. And I tend to do things very sporadically and don't really think it through very much. Uh, <laughs> but I just thought, you know, this will be a good challenge. And I want to be all in on my running. I want to see my potential. And uh, alcohol just seems to be a deterrent of me reaching my goals. And so I just did it and I was all in. And um, of course, three months into my sobriety journey, I got a free trip to Mexico for my brother's wedding. And um, he had a yacht and all this booze and, you know, and I'm just like, God, this is hard. Like, um, but I stuck it out and I'm a year and a half sober. And um, there's so many things I've learned that I never expected. And for running, honestly, I, I wanted that to be the biggest piece it contributed to. I can't say that it's made my times that much better. I've worked super hard at my running. Um, I think it's allowed me to go into every day at 100% rather than like 50%, right? And I also have no excuses now of like, oh, well, that was a hard workout because I was semi hungover. Well, I don't have that excuse. Like I get to go into every workout giving my best. Um, so I think that feels really good. Um, but I would say my happiness has been has become more clear um, what truly makes me happy. Uh, I've made a lot of hard decisions, especially this year. Um, I called off an engagement. I basically changed, I did a 180 flip on my life purely because I realized like, why was I making these decisions drunk? Like I, I have a much clearer mindset and I'm able to make better decisions for myself uh, that are contributing to my overall success and my goals in life. Um, and I think there's something to be said about that. Like I have the rest of my life to drink. Um, I should, I should make best decisions for my happiness right now. Wow. That sounds amazing. It's great to hear so many benefits. So I know in Ireland, anyway, the college culture or, you know, just the drinking culture is pretty like strong and definitely mm -hmm. affected my own sort of ability to reach my potential in terms of training and being an athlete is it is there a big like drinking culture in the running scene in college as well in running in general what, what's that like oh yeah I mean um so <laughs> uh I mean I grew up around UW Madison which if anyone has ever been to Madison Wisconsin it's a big drinking culture there um I was never a big drinker growing up though I drank I think when I was 18 um didn't really party in college as much. I would say I partied more like my senior year. Um, but Mankato, I, I went to Minnesota State Mankato uh, for college. And um, there's a big drinking culture there. Lots of uh, people love to party there. The community is big into partying. Um, so yeah, I think it definitely when you're around it, um, it just seems like the normal thing to do. Um, but I also have been fortunate to know a lot of determined people in their craft. Um, and even though a lot of them weren't necessarily sober until I realized I went sober and you meet so many other people that are sober, right? And they're like, oh, well, I am too, right? And you don't realize how many people are sober until you do it. But um, I think I was fortunate to know so many gritty and 
motivated people who led me to realize that like our that drinking just isn't part of that equation for me right now nice yeah and, and was it just just a sort of a slow build where it was kind of like over time you started to think about it and then you just pull the trigger or was it like one certain thing that happened and you're just like right this is the end of it yeah i um I think it was always in the back of my head uh, that drinking just made me feel crappy. Um, like I, I enjoyed my night out nights out. I've had a lot of great memories and all of that. Um, but like, I, you know, waking up the next day and like having to go to work and you're hungover and it's just like, ugh. and then the only solution people have to that is, Oh, well, let's go get a bloody Mary. And um, it just was counterintuitive to how I felt doing it. Um, and there, I was never like an addict. Um, I never had like an addictive personality around drinking. I just feel a lot better sober. And so there really was no like pivotal moment for me. It just felt like there was maybe a slow build of like, okay, this isn't contributing to my higher purpose in life. Nice. Yeah. So I'm sober as well. And my experience was definitely as I got older and out of the college scene, it was kind of like, right, this is really not in my best interest. And just to uh, to try and, you know, manage it and try and be like, okay, I'm going to show up and be my best tomorrow, but I'm probably going to be a little bit hungover and trying to manage that was just, you know, just eventually didn't become worth it. But just with your work, you know, working with clients and, you know, kind of being a health professional, how has it affected that? You know, what kind of carryover effect has it had? Uh, yeah, I think just, again, going into every day, knowing I'm a hundred percent and like, I have no excuses and, um, I can be upfront with my clients. I can be a hundred percent for them and give them my all. Um, I have a lot of clients and I want to be able to provide the best service I can for them. And, and life does still happen. Like I still wake up tired and I still, you know, forget to do things. And, um, but I think uh, I'm a trustworthy source for them. I know that they can come to me and they know I'm not out partying and and uh, I don't have excuses in that front. Um, and so it just feels really good to be 100% with them. Yeah, you can, you can show up and be your best self. So if somebody is thinking, you know, oh, I wouldn't mind trying to give up alcohol or, you know, I don't think I have the best relationship with alcohol. I know for me, it kind of, uh, I felt like, oh, it's not going to be fun. It's going to be boring. How will I socialize? How will I, you know, unwind? But it's been my experience that it hasn't been an issue at all. All those kind of worries have gone away. What would you say to somebody who is kind of thinking about, you know, putting back in their drinking or stopping altogether and they're just kind of, they're on the fence? Uh, yeah, I think you, I, I mean, I guess it's just different for everyone, but I think you have to think about, you know, is my lifestyle right now serving me? And uh, is it in line with what I want to achieve in the next three or five years? Like, just look at that. Like, you know, even one year, like, is this in line if I keep keeping this routine of maybe dr drinking every weekend or, you know, however often you are? Uh, is this in line with what I want to achieve for myself? And how am I going to feel if I don't achieve that goal? Or how am I going to feel when I do achieve that goal? Right. Um, and so uh, in basics of like cutting back, like 
you don't need to do all cold turkey um, if you feel like that would be hard for you. Like, I think one big thing we're seeing in our society right now is the sober curious movement. And I kind of feel like I fall under that because I'm not necessarily addicted to alcohol and I'm very fortunate for that. Um, but people who just want to try it and see what it's like, like, uh, I know dry January is a big thing. Like at the beginning of the year, just try and go sober for the month and see if you can do it. And if you can make one social event and not drink through it, like that is such a freeing moment. Right. Um, and I hope every, every person in this world can find that opportunity where you're going to go to one major social event, like. Uh, a bar or a huge party, uh, birthday party, or like a vacation, and you know that people are going to just be super trashed at, like, try making it through that super hard uh, event sober. And I guarantee you'll come out the next day feeling so accomplished. Absolutely. Yeah. That's my experience as well, where, for example, I have a long run coming up on Saturday. And I know that just because it's a Friday night doesn't mean that, you know, I, uh, I won't be able to show up for that run and the confidence it gives me because like doing kind of difficult things like a long run, they're hard enough anyway, but mm-hmm. it's, it's next to impossible. Like I, I, I would safely say I would be running the way I am if I was still drinking because the hangovers would just be the death of me and I would not be able to, to show yeah. up, you know, like, like I, I am in sobriety. So yeah, uh, that's a, <laughs> A really good, uh, good reminder. But yeah, this has been great, Bobby. Thanks for your time. Is there any kind of like final message you want to leave people with? Links or information about yourself? Yeah, I guess um, if you want to follow me on Instagram, my name is Bobby Patrick seventy seven, or you can follow my podcast Instagram or podcast on Spotify. It's Curving the Cheers podcast. Um, I haven't posted there a lot, but I do have some good starting intros and just a personal diary about how I got sober and. Um, yeah, just updates into about the year mark about how I made it a year. So it is possible. So yeah, great work, and I'll attach all that in the show notes. Okay, great. Thank you.